As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Welcome to another classic replay from the archives of Unbelievable, this one from February 2015. Church leader Steve Chalk is well known for his support of same-sex relationships, and Ed Shaw is a same-sex attracted Christian whose traditional biblical convictions have led him to remain celibate. They discussed how churches should treat those in their congregation who are LGBT. We also heard from a couple of other guests. Jane Zan, an evangelical and former member of the Archbishop's Council who came out as gay around the time this was first broadcast, joined by phone, and we also hear the story of Rosaria Butterfield's journey from lesbian activist English professor to becoming wife of a church pastor. Welcome along to the programme and today we're asking is the church failing gay Christians? Steve Chalk and Ed Shaw join me in studio. Jane Ozan is on the line and we'll be hearing some audio from Rosaria Butterfield. Uh, They've all got their own perspectives on this question. Steve Chalk, a well-known church leader who publicly voiced his support for committed same-sex relationships a couple of years ago. He's hosting the Open Church Conference at Oasis Church Waterloo in April. Ed Shaw is pastor of Emmanuel City Centre Church in Bristol, one of the founders of Living Out and as a same-sex attracted Christian, Ed has decided to remain celibate, believing that's what the Bible teaches, that sex is for marriage between a man and a woman. His new book is The Plausibility Problem from IVP. And uh, as I say, Jane Ozan, a leading evangelical in the CV who recently came out as gay, also joins us on the line. Should be a really interesting discussion here on the programme that aims to get you thinking. So thank you, everyone, for joining me today. Um, I should also mention that the other name I mentioned in my introduction, Rosaria Butterfield, not joining us in person, but we'll hear some of audio from her. Um, a very interesting story as well, who, through a conversion uh, to Christianity, went on a journey from being a, a postmodern lesbian English professor, according to her Wikipedia page, um, in a gay relationship, to being wife of a Reformed Presbyterian church pastor. So we'll hear part of her journey as well. Um, we aim to bring you interesting conversations on Unbelievable, and this is what we're doing today. I hope you enjoy today's show uh, be interested in hearing your feedback as well uh, don't forget you can email unbelievable at premier.org.uk uh, you can get in touch via our facebook and uh, twitter accounts i'll give all the details for that out later uh, but you might be interested in reading the article that sort of accompanies this radio show it's in the latest edition of premier christianity magazine the march edition and uh, it's authored by steve chalk and sean doherty who uh, is one of the co-founders with ed of uh, living out and uh, they address that question. They give their own different answers to the question of whether the church is failing gay Christians. It's available to read on the website premierchristianity.com. You can even 
order yourself a free sample copy of the magazine and, and read it in print. That's uh, premierchristianity.com slash free sample. Well, uh, advert's over. Uh, time to introduce my guests. Uh, Steve, Chalk and Ed, thanks for joining me in the studio today. Um, uh, to start with you, first of all, Steve, um, you uh, joined me a couple of years ago now uh, to talk about your own change of stance on the issue of um, homosexuality and, and committed same-sex relationships and so on. And in a sense, we don't need to tread all the theological arguments again. We're kind of arriving at a slightly different question today. Mm. Is the church failing gay Christians? And you're actually putting on a conference. Tell us a little bit about this and, um, and what you're hoping to do in terms of opening up the dialogue within the church. Uh, the conference is mm. called Open Church, mm. and it's to look at the church, the future, mission and the Bible, which is at the heart of the thing, isn't it? And how we understand the Bible, deal with the Bible. Um, and it's on April the 10th and the 11th. Vicky Beechin is one of the speakers at that. There are many speakers mm-hmm. from different perspectives. It's a balanced conversation. It's an open and honest conversation. And what I find endlessly as I travel around churches is people have said the atmosphere has changed over the last couple of years mm. because you can now talk about this like we are today. Mm. And it's a real conversation to have. Open Church is set up to be that conversation. Um, we've got hundreds of people already coming, but and there are still uh, a few more places. So <laughs> we're, we're looking forward to that engagement where everyone can talk about where they are, what they've discovered, and what they're discovering, the journey that they're on. So that's April 10th and 11th. It's, it's a Friday and Saturday, yeah. so church leaders can come and get back to their churches. I mean, in the article that you wrote alongside Sean Doherty for... Christianity um, is the church failing gay Christians. Um, you, you talk about the fact that, um, in many ways, there's a conspiracy of silence, as far as you're concerned, among some church leaders when it comes to talking about these issues. Well, just last week, as it happens, um, I didn't know you were going to ask that question, but I sat and I talked to two well known Christians. I'm sure they've occupied this studio or one of these studios. Mm-hmm. Uh, two breakfasts on different days. I didn't raise the conversation that I'd had with one with the other. Both of them, um, important Christian leaders, I would guess, in our country, both of them said, Steve, well, one said, Steve, you know my position's exactly the same as yours. It's just, I can't say it. Okay. And the other said, Steve, um, you know, which I had known, I've supported you from the beginning I know that I told you my organisation would make a public statement of agreement, but our board just found it too difficult in terms of funding. Mm, Okay, so that happens. I can't tell you how many times. And and obviously that was, in a sense, a concern for you when you, as it were, uh, went public with your stance on this uh, for for Oasis Trust. uh, That that meant, you know, that they were inevitably going to be facing some criticism and, and a concern from yeah. evangelical Christians. Yeah, but uh, it was really hard and is hard, but I was also very fortunate. So I'd, I'd prayed for a long time, as you do. I knew there was an injustice here. I think the truth is we are failing. I think we'd all agree around that. I hope we'd all agree that we are failing um, young people and older people who are gay in churches. The question is what you do about sure, it. Sure, sure. Uh, but we are failing, and I think everybody confesses to that. Um, we've got to change something. and But it was hard. I, would, I knew that. But no one wants to step forward and take the shot. So and you, so you, you, you kind of pray that someone else will begin this conversation. But no one does. And in the end, I used to pray, Lord, if there's a way of me doing this, starting this conversation, I'm not 
scared for me. I'm scared for others. If if there's a way that comes clear for me to do this so that others don't take it, I prayed that for years, actually. And then it seemed to me the way came clear. And here we are today and your magazine and... And I'm told I was I was, um, I was told just the other day by somebody who just came out of Lambeth Palace. I was walking past pa- Lambeth Palace, and an Anglican uh, senior Anglican clergyman said, "Steve, everyone is talking about this now. Right. No one did before." Well, that's, it's and they thank me. Yeah. I've got yeah. a little part to play in it. But <laughs> well, look, yeah. let's uh, talk to Ed now. Ed, um, thanks for coming on. You came on a year ago to the show to have yeah. a discussion with Justin Lee at the time, um, and it's good to have you back. Uh, you've got a new book out. Um, and it's called The Plausibility Problem. Um, just for those who maybe uh, aren't familiar with your story, though, just in a nutshell, do you want to give us a sense of your, your background and, and how you came to write the book? Um, yeah, I'm an um, evangelical church pastor um, and um, have always experienced same-sex attraction, always been, as the world would probably describe it, gay. Um, certainly from, you know, as soon as sexual feelings sort of were on the agenda, I was aware that they were exclusively focused on uh, some people of the same sex. And I think for many years I kept that quiet, um, mainly because I thought it might just be a phase, uh, might be just something I grew out of. I think in my late 20s I realised that puberty was probably over and this was a settled, settled <laughs> orientation uh, and didn't feel under great pressure to sort of do anything particularly about it in the sense of it, um, embrace a gay, gay lifestyle or something and didn't think that would be right for me as a Christian. Um, told uh, some friends, um, shared that this was a, an issue for me and found consistently, whenever I told people, I thought there might be a homophobic response mm. within evangelical circles, but actually never experienced that. Okay. I think now, with the benefit of hindsight, re- re- rewinding things, I'm thinking, why, why was I so convinced that people would respond negatively when actually everybody, for me, has responded very positively to me saying, look, this is an issue for me. Um, but, you know, the reality is that people have been positive. I've had the uh, fun experience of standing up in front of my church family saying this is an issue for me in a sort of what I describe as my not quite coming out, because obviously yeah. I have come out, <laughs> yeah. but in some ways in a very different way yeah. to how many people uh, would. I mean, but, we, we featured your story about a year and a half ago alongside Sean Doherty and, and Sam Albury in the magazine as well, um, because in a sense, you're, as part of living out, um, you're aiming to, to, to support Christians who do feel that their biblical convictions lead them to, yeah. to not, um, act on their uh, homosexual desire and so on. And for some, uh, for the very similar reasons to Steve, in the, in the sense that we felt that people weren't hearing that story enough and that we were keeping quiet on this issue. And it's really interesting you hearing some of the conversations you have. I have similar conversations from people who take whatever you want to call it, traditional orthodox view on the subject, to again say, I'm with you, we're with you, we really want to support you, but we're afraid of speaking out because we think we'll be labelled as homophobic. So it's interesting right. that on both sides, you know, we might be the front men, but there are people behind us saying, oh my goodness, thank goodness you're doing it, uh, but we don't want to. And I think one of the good, healthy things is beginning to have this discussion, particularly on the issue of how we better care for people. <clears throat> mm. And that's why, in the end, I decided to make the decision to be more public. Mm. Um, that's why I've written the book, is to try and make sure that our churches build a plausibility structure for people who are same-sex attracted. What do, do you mean by this plausibility problem that you've titled the book? Well, it's just the issue that people think, people who perhaps agree with uh, the historic understanding of the Bible, actually the thing that, that really sort of changes people's mind in some ways is not that, but has been, yep, yeah, we agree with that, but it just doesn't seem to be livable. Mm. And I wanted to show that it is livable to live in the light of the Bible's teaching, and the reasons it doesn't feel livable, li- livable 
are the whole series of other missteps the evangelical church have taken over the last, I don't know, 50 years or so that make it very hard for people who are celibate, who are same-sex attracted, to live in the light of what Jesus tells us. Well, um, it'd be fascinating to open this up between you gentlemen. Just quickly, before we uh, move into more conversation on this, let's uh, talk to Jane as well. Jane Ozan joins me on the line. Uh, leading evangelical in the Church of England, who recently came out as gay herself and has taken up leadership of Accepting Evangelicals, the organisation. Uh, Jane, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Justin. It's great to have you on. Um, just briefly, do you want to spell out your story? Again, not a great deal of time, and, and I will make sure there are links from today's show online to, to the full story. But um, sure. just give us a sense of, of, of your, your own um, journey in this area. Well, quite similar to Ed in many ways, in that I, um, I struggled with um, my feelings for women through my 20s. I must admit, during my teenage years, I think I was quite closed down. I think the whole issue of sex, particularly as a, a, a very evangelical, charismatic teenager, was something that most of us were rather scared of. And it was only in my 20s when I um, really began to realize that I was falling in love with women and that that, in my mind, was completely unacceptable, given my understanding at the time of the Bible, that I um, found myself in a really difficult dichotomy. And my problem was I didn't want to tell anybody because I didn't want to be um, classed as unsound. I didn't want to have a black mark against my name. I thought it was something that um, I could try and heal. But my fear of actually even talking to someone about it is what led to that first breakdown. And, and, and sadly, time in hospital when my body's starting to pack up. And I have to be honest, we weren't open back then at mm. all. And I agree that the world's moved on, but only a little bit. And frankly, after that breakdown, I then sought a lot of prayer and, and ministry. I went around quite literally the world looking to people to pray for me and with me. I was very open about the fact I was struggling with this. And as Ed has experienced, people seemed to accept that. The one thing they weren't going to accept was me acting on it. Mm. And therefore, I tried to live a celibate life. And sadly for me, the more I tried to do that, the more depressed I became, the more the, the well of loneliness, that deep inner hunger to be one with someone. Not, I think sometimes we think about this as a sex thing. It's not. Mm. It's about being in a union with someone who you are completely um, committed to, in love with, and share your life with. And that deep need, which I think Genesis 2 talks about it, drove me to a point yet again where I had a second breakdown and again ended up in hospital. And at that time, I had been going to my church leadership and asking for their support, and they were confounded because they knew that I had been through everything that they had suggested. You know, I'd, I'd submitted myself to deliverance ministries, emotional healing. I tried to, to look at um, my walk with God, and I was eventually told that it was just down to me and God. And sadly, that to me felt the door being mm, shut. Mm. Now... What I would say is I'm not alone in this journey. The problem is when I did then um, decide to embrace who I was and to look at it, because part of my problem was, is this going to bring me the happiness I need? Dear Lord, is this really me? I suppose there were so many questions in my head. But the moment I started to look at that, I was dropped like a stone. Right. And I think that I'm very thrilled that Steve found the courage to talk out. But the truth is, many of us have tried in the past, but there is no platform to do that. 
And the reason now that I want to take up this position, I, I, I know it's got quite a lot of coverage since I became director. I actually came out to friends and senior church leaders back in 2009. Mm. But again, I was completely sidelined. There was no one who came in touch to say, Jane, how are you doing? And sadly for me, I lost absolutely everybody. I lost all my friends who didn't know how to engage with me. So right. is the church failing? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. My point of greatest need, where I was extremely ill, emotionally at, a, at, at the darkest place in my life, feeling completely abandoned by God and my friends. But luckily for me, at that point, Jesus completely met me and walked with me through uh, the, the next five years. And I, I think everyone who knew me and walked with me through that time recognized I completely okay. transformed. Well, it's really interesting to hear your story, Jane. Thank you for joining us for today's programme. Uh, and yeah. uh, so we're, we're going to continue this conversation in a moment's time. And we will hear a, another um, aspect on this from Rosario Butterfield, as I mentioned a little later in the show. If you want to get in touch today, uh, I've already mentioned the email address, but you're welcome to get, share your thoughts via um, our social media sites, uh, facebook.com slash unbelievablejb. Uh, follow me on Twitter at UnbelievableJB. All the links and more, um, especially to previous shows that both Steve and Ed have been involved in on Unbelievable uh, from the website of the show. That's uh, premierchristianradio.com slash unbelievable. Unbelievable with Justin Brierley. Um, inevitably, you can have the theological debates about what the Bible says about this issue. But in the end, when the rubber hits the road, <clears throat> it's about what happens at the pastoral level um, in churches where people are grappling and struggling with this issue. Um, uh, we heard there um, the story of Jane and a huge amount of sympathy, I'm sure you have for her, Ed. Yeah. But why do you still view that, that the way you were able to come to terms with your sexuality is, is if you like, the appropriate response when you hear a story like that, where obviously for her, the, the, the sense of loneliness, everything, uh, and frustration, really, um, that led to a breakdown, um, is evidently something that I think a lot of people sense, this is where it's all going wrong. We're, you know, the church is not coping and, and not giving people an outlet for what's going on in their life and so on. I think there is theology we need to change. I don't think it's our theology of the sort of ethics of uh, permanent faithful stable same-sex relationships i think it's we need to regain an evangelical theology of church mm -hmm. we need to get, regain an evangelical theology of sex we need to uh, sort of fight against um the sort of current idea that the only way that you can get intimacy is through a sexual relationship mm -hmm. that the only way you can live life to the full is if you are one with another person there's just a whole series of sort of things that we've bought into from the world around us that mean it it, it does become very difficult in fact, in some cases, impossible for people uh, to live in evangelical church circles. And so in I think that sense, the church is failing. Yeah, but the, the church isn't level. failing in its understanding of the rightness or, uh, or wrongness of, you know, the, the, gay, gay sex. Right. It's failing in a whole host of other different ways. And so there's just a wider picture here and a yeah. wider agenda we need to think about, which is why it's good to have this conversation, mm. because we really need to get uh, right mean, on a whole host of different issues, like what we think our, our theology of sanctification is as well. You know, what are we saying to someone like Jane mm. or someone like myself about our same-sex desires? Are we saying, as it were, they have to be zapped and only then we can be right in God's sight? Or are we saying that there's a way in which you can uh, continue to experience them and uh, remember and uh, live in the light of the fact that you're a dearly loved child of God? 
do you think yeah jane go ahead for a minute because i mm. do take quite a lot of exception with what ed's saying i think um one of the biggest things that um i know accepting evangelicals that are desperately trying to do is to work within the evangelical tradition to to help people understand that there is more than one way of interpreting biblical text i am passionate about the bible that is what has kept me going throughout my whole life through its dark days and through its triumphant moments and it's my reading of, of the Hebrew and Greek text which has brought me to this place of freedom. So I don't want to go into a text debate. That's not going to help mm. either of us. But what I do want to do is try and ensure that we get to a point where we recognize the integrity of different people who may read those texts in different ways. And I, I would also suggest that this isn't about having a sexual partner. This is about fulfilling what Genesis 2 talks about, which is the need for man not to be alone. It was a need that God himself couldn't make meet, which is why he created uh, a helpmeet for Adam. Hmm. And I think um, I, I take issue with what Ed's trying to do. I think he's very brave. I've tried to live that way myself. But I know for me it only brought... Sure. Uh, Let, let's, I'll there. just give Ed a chance to respond and then and bring Steve into the conversation. I think with the Genesis 2 stuff, about it's not good for man to be alone i think we always we always read that as therefore everybody needs to sort of pair off when i think we've got to recognize that 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 verse comes in the context of obviously adam being provided with eve but also everything that then comes off the back of that which is the whole of humanity and community so the fact that i have not or cannot as it would be paired off with the man of my dreams doesn't mean I, i'm sort of condemned to a life of loneliness Actually, the reality is God does not want me to live alone, and God has given me a, a, a family, a, a biological family, a church family, a friends, a whole host of people that means I don't have to live life alone. Sure. Um, Steve, you, w- coming back to the article and, and your contribution to it uh, on, on whether the church is failing gay Christians, um, you, you say that if our pastoral practice is driving people into despair, even to the point of taking their own lives, you don't have to be an Oxbridge ethics professor to work out that there's something wrong with the theology that informs it. You believe churches, to realistically deal with the issue of... Um, people who were, say, in Jane's position, having breakdowns because of their sexuality and so on. It's the theology that needs to change. It's saying. the theology that needs to change, absolutely. As, as Ed's just said, I think the theology around sexuality needs to change as, all the, as, as well as those other things. But I think we've made great progress over the last two years. Okay. One, we all agree the church is failing people. Everyone agrees that. Steve Holmes, uh, writing for the EA in response to what I'd written two years ago, said Steve Chalks highlighted a scandal. It's a disgrace. The way we've treated great gay people is a disgrace. Um, so we, we recognise that. Tragically, just a few months ago, as you mentioned in the piece around mm. the article I wrote, um, a, a young lass called Lizzie, yeah. a 15-year-old, at an evangelical church in Didsbury took her own life because she felt that she could not tell her church. And Sean, your colleague, a great guy in in Living Out, wrote about that and said, yes, it's a terrible shame around the country people don't feel able to talk about their sexuality. So we worked out we're failing. Mm. Second great advance... It wasn't like this two years ago when I was taking the shot, is everyone agrees it's about theology. Ed's just said that. But we shouldn't duck that it's about the it's about the ethics of sexuality and our understanding of what the Bible says. The third great advance is that in this conversation, no one slung at me that I'm not taking the Bible seriously. We're all taking the Bible seriously, but we've got to take it really seriously, not just begin with our prejudice Mm. and build our prejudice back into our understanding of the verses. 
So this discussion, theologically, is really important yeah. to inform our pastoral I, I practice. I agree. And, and in that sense, you know, we, as I say, we don't have the, the time uh, to, to, to discuss the, the, the theology of the Bible passages yeah. as important as that is. And not just the debate. Bible passages, actually, the Bible sure. itself. Yeah, yeah. So I think that, no, I think this is a really important thing, isn't it? I, you know, I've been a Christian four and a half decades or whatever, and I guess all three of us in this room have had Bible verses chucked at us to prove all sorts of things in the past. Um so it's not just about, oh, let's look at this word and this mm, Greek mm. word or this Hebrew word, this sentence. It's understanding what the Bible is and how the Bible informs sure. our walk forward as the church. I, I mean, but I know that for you, Ed, you know, you, you've seen the arguments, you've read Steve's stuff and, and many of the other uh, theologians who are, if you like, have a gay affirming view um, taken from Scripture. But you, that it hasn't persuaded you. And, and why are you persuaded that changing the theology wouldn't actually help anyway in the end the pastoral situations i mean for, in a sense jane's story in a sense says no it really helped me you know it, it i was you know not coping before i was able to reconcile and 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 live out a, a kind of you know same sex relationship lifestyle with scripture and so on so so why do you take a different view on that well, on, on understanding the Bible, I'm not a great fan of the what I call the proof text parade. Sure. I don't think that often gets as far. I, I would want to sort of justify my position through the, through the whole Bible story. And in my book, let's get a plug in. You know, I, there's an appendix on, on, on why I think that, both why I think the sort of traditional line is plausible and why I find, um, much to my own frustration, because it's clearly been my personal interest not to find it, the sort of revisionist views implausible. Um, so, you know, in some ways... It's out there. People can can read that. But why, why do I, why do I sort of think it's a bigger picture discussion? Well, because I think the danger is we isolate this issue in a little box, and mm-hmm. it's been very convenient to put people like me in a little box for a long time, um, in the hope that we can be contained, and sometimes, sadly, in the hope we might go away. But actually, it is a broader issue, and it's an issue that affects every area of our church's life. Um, but also, it's a, it's an issue that affects every area of our theology. And uh, therefore, I want to sort of broaden the issue and actually think, look, what are the loads of things that we're doing that make it very hard to be a single person for whatever reason mm. in one of our churches? Um, mm. You know, what, what, what is, what is, what's gone wrong when we start to see that the Bible is all about bringing unhappiness into people's life when the great claim that Jesus brings is, is that we should live life to the full and that there should be great happiness yeah. in living life in obedience and, to and, his and commands. Do you, do you kind of, I, I guess you, you, you um, echo sean's comment in in the article where he says that often the church fails because of a lack of teaching and support for singleness compared to the provision it often gives for married couples yeah. and that sort of thing and i found it i mean one of the one of the things people your know, conversation i keep having is actually with people who are single for whatever reason who say thank you for what you're saying about how hard it is to be a single member of our church thank you for what you're saying about how sex is and everything thank you for what you'll be saying about friendship thank you for what you're saying about um, you know, Jesus Christ telling us mm. to pick up our cross and follow him. That is all relevant for us. And that's a voice that often gets lost in the debate. Quick response, Steve, and then we'll, we'll go to a break. Well, I was going to say that I think there is huge amounts of pastoral damage done down the line. I, I think, Ed, you know, your stance, you know, I think it's, it's wonderful for you. I really do. But the truth is we all know the person that gets pushed down the line. They even perhaps come to believe themselves that they can deny who they are. They get married. They have children. Tell me that you don't know of people like this. And then it all, and it's all falls collapsed. apart. Yeah. And it's not just their life. It's the life of their children. 
T- tell me you don't know mm. that that's happening in hundreds of churches around the country right now. So, so actually, in, in evangelicalism, we set out with big commitments that we sometimes find more and more burdensome through life. The, the gospel is always a cross to carry, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the burden we put on people because we say, you used to believe that, and now we changed our view. Now you can talk about sexuality. Yeah. Two years ago, we told you could, you couldn't. Two years ago, we told you we weren't failing. Now we know we are. Two years ago, we told you it wasn't our theology that needed to change. Now we tell you it, it is. But here's how it needs to change. Now put on that yoke and carry well, that well, one. Well, we'll come back to this, and, and I think that in a sense um i think what as i understand ed saying is that it's not that the theology needs to change it's the church practice and the way we support people who are, who are same-sex yeah. attracted but but we'll, we'll come back to all that um we're going to hear in the next section of the program as well from rosaria butterfield um who has a, a different uh, take on this herself and we'll, we'll hear some audio and, mm. and get jane ozan's uh, thoughts on that as well you're listening to unbelievable debating today is the church failing gay christians my studio guests are steve chalk and ed shaw jane ozan on the line and we'll be back in a moment's time Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I've got a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time. And some of Tom's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask and Write Anything and Unbelievable going strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can today and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash unbelievable show. That's premierinsight.org forward slash unbelievable show. Thank you. Welcome back to the second part of today's programme. I'm Justin Briley, and this is the show that aims to get you thinking. Unbelievable. Uh, continuing our discussion on whether the church is failing gay Christians. It's linked to an article in a recent edition of Premier Christianity magazine, the March edition. And if you want to read that for yourself, uh, go to premierchristianity.com to read it. Um, now, Steve Chalk and Ed Shaw join me in studio, and uh, we're also going to be continue to be joined for a little while by Jane Ozan before she has to move on. Um, and we're going to be hearing Rosaria Butterfield's story too. Uh, so let me tell you about this. Rosaria Butterfield um, went through a conversion on a journey from being a postmodern lesbian English professor in a gay relationship to being wife of a reformed Presbyterian church pastor. Now, she tells the story in full in her book, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely convert well uh, recently uh, she's had the opportunity to tell that story in many settings her conversion actually began after she developed an unlikely friendship with a church pastor of a, of a, a conservative evangelical church and she began to investigate scripture for herself and so she picks up the story from uh, having been attending as a non-believer uh, the church of this pastor we were singing from psalm 119 line 56 This is mine, because forever all thy precepts I preserve. 
And after I sang these words, something shifted. Two weight-bearing walls collapsed in my mind. The first wall came crashing down because I had just sung condemnation unto myself, and I knew it. This Bible was not mine. I had scorned it and cursed it and despised it. But I had been reading and rereading this book, and the use of the helping verb here, has and has become, troubled me. Two years of laborious reading embodies the helping verb has. It shows process, journey, pilgrimage, and danger. But I was not in Christ, and therefore could not possibly keep these precepts, not in word, heart change, or deed. And here was the shattering of the second wall. I had read the Bible many times through. I had sat under Ken Smith's preaching. I had sat at his table. I had debated this with as many church members as he would let me have have at. Um, And the truth is, I saw for myself that it had a holy author. I saw for myself that it was a canonized collection of 66 books with a unified biblical revelation. I heard for myself that when the words, this is mine, came out of my mouth in congregational singing, that I was attesting to this one simple truth, that the line of communication that God ordained for his people required this wrestling with scripture, and that I truly wanted to both hear God's voice breathed into my life, and I wanted God to hear my pleas. The fog burned away. The whole Bible, each jot and tittle, was my open highway to a holy God. My hands let go of the wheel of self-invention. I came to Jesus alone, open-handed and naked. I had no dignity upon which to stand, and it was a crushing revelation. It was Jesus I had been persecuting the whole time. And in this war of worldviews, Ken and Floyd were there. The church who had been praying for me for years, it was there. Jesus triumphed, and I was a broken mess. I lost everything but the dog. Of course, there's only one thing to do when you meet the living God. You must fall on your face and repent of your sins. And repentance is bittersweet business. It is the posture of the Christian, much like warrior one is the posture of the yogi. Repentance is our daily fruit, our hourly washing, our minute-by-minute wake-up call, our reminder of God's creation, Jesus' blood, and the Holy Spirit's comfort. Repentance is the only no-shame solution to a renewed Christian conscience because it proves the obvious that God was right all along. But what about my community, my habitus? What does a habitus look like run by an ex-lesbian with a now-defunct Ph.D.? It was a mess. So many people were hurt by my conversion that I probably should have written, instead of secret thoughts, the title of my book should have been What My Obedience to God Cost Other People. The body count was clear. Those I love were now pressed and mangled by the consequences of Christ's call on my life. I speak today about matters that happened over a decade ago. 
God has taken me on a long journey. And like most pilgrimages, mine engenders more questions than answers. One question that I get asked a lot, and that I'll talk a little bit about here, is, why did I have to give up my girlfriend for Christ? Why couldn't I have both? After all, can't someone believe in Jesus and be gay? So here's, here's the problem with that. Salvation begins with God's sovereign initiation, not with my intellectual assent to a worldview or a set of moral ideas or a desire to be happy. It is a dangerous lie to say that Christians are people who merely believe in Jesus. Even the demons believe in Jesus. After God's sovereign invitation, after the Holy Spirit removes the heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh, we fall on our faces as we hear the still, small voice of God. Just a snippet there, sharing of, of her story uh, by Rosaria Butterfield, who uh, went through this uh, through this conversion, went on a journey from uh, being a lesbian English professor in a gay relationship to actually being wife of a Reformed Presbyterian church pastor in the end. Um, and... Um, Obviously, um, Jane, I'm sure you're a little bit familiar with Rosaria's story. Um, in a sense, it's become somewhat fated within the evangelical world because it's very countercultural, in a sense, to, to what you would expect most of the time to hear. What's your reaction yourself to, to, to the journey she's taken, which has obviously been so very different to the one that, that you took? Well, I think the emphasis uh, in the question is on the word journey, and I think we each individually are on a journey with uh, with Christ our Saviour, and I think we've each got our own personal testimony. I'm afraid I don't know, Rosaria. It's actually, that's the first time I've heard that that piece, and it's obviously very much a testimony to what she believes and feels. I can only speak from my own personal testimony and belief that my journey has been about inviting God into every step of the path I've taken and asking for his direction in that. And I felt his blessing in what I'm doing. And I see the fruit of that and I see the the, the answers to prayers throughout the last six years whilst I've been in a relationship. And that, I suppose, is my personal testimony. And for me, I do believe the truth sets us free. I, I, I know we bandy these these verses around, but the truth for me I had to embrace was that I am gay and I love women. And in my fear of God rather than my fear of man, I decided I needed to address that and embrace it. And what I suppose I, I, I think Rosaria is trying to do is speak her truth and her through her fear of God, and we are obviously in very different places. I don't understand why God's put us in those two different places, but I know that the integrity is there, and I respect that. Mm. And I think that's what we need to grapple with here, is that we both, it's not, a, you know, it's not a question of right or wrong, it's about being honest to each other before God. And, and that's what I want to, if I may, mm. commend Steve for doing, because his fear of God, as I see it, brought him to a place where he felt he had to take on the fear of being rejected by all other leaders and do what he believed to be right. And I would encourage so many others to do that. When I hear him say about other church leaders, and I know many too, who agree with me in private, that they are fearful of man, and that makes my blood boil, because <laughs> actually what they need to be more scared of is how they're going to stand yeah. before God. It, it's been really good of you to join us um, up to this point in the programme. I know you've got to leave us now, uh, Sorry, Jane, but no, it's been great to have your input, and, and thank you very much. If people want to find out more, uh, do look up Accepting Evangelicals, where uh, Jane's taken on the leadership recently. But thanks for being with us on the programme today. All the best to you both, all, all, the very to best. all of you. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>
Um, so, guys, um, coming back to, to this conversation, um, now that Jane's had to leave us, um, be interested in your response, Ed, to, to Rosaria's story as well. I think what's, what's fascinating about Rosaria's story, and I urge people to, to, to read her book and to listen to her story, is how it came about through a church that was in some ways at the opposite end of the spectrum to where she was at the time, just mm. being loving to her. She has this wonderful story of having done, uh, I think, a newspaper article in the local press um, and having, as a result of that, loads of really sort of warm letters in one, in one, you know, through the post, and then loads of sort of hateful letters. Mm. And then she got one letter she just couldn't put in either pile. <laughs> and it was a letter from a Reformed Evangelical Church pastor who was disagreeing with her, but doing it in such a loving way that she was intrigued. And she mentioned him um, mm. in, in that little sort of clip. And it was the relationship with him and the warmth of his listening to her and the conversations that took place off the back of that that brought her to Christ. And I think that just highlights something that, that could be the sort of unintended consequence of a discussion like that. If, if we talk so much about how bad the church is um, at dealing with gay people, the mm. danger is that that might mean that if you are gay, you think, oh, the last person I'm going to go to is the church. And the reality is, yes, there are horror stories, and we've shared some of them, about how the church deals with people who experience same-sex attraction. But there are a lot of good stories out there. And so if you are somebody mm. that's same-sex attracted, I would encourage you to go and speak mm. uh, to you know, people in your church and not to fear raising this issue with them because mm. it, would be a, it would be a huge tragedy if a discussion like this actually stopped what we, what we all desire happening, which is people going to their sort of you know, youth group leaders, going to uh, church pastors and uh, being able to openly share what's going on and continue as it were that conversation on a local level. So we've just got to be careful that if we talk about all the negative stories the unintended consequence could be that nobody goes to a local church pastor. And there are loads of good stories out there. I've I, shared one. Rosario shared her. Sean in the article shares mm. his. I agree. I agree with what you've just said, Ed. I really do. There are good stories. But the truth is the meta-narrative about the church in this country around gay people is a very, very, very negative one, which is what we all agree about and understand and know. That's what Steve Holmes said to me. Mm. Do you know, the EA, in taking their stance, still acknowledge beginning and end of what Steve said, that this is the situation. So it, this won't go away unless we address it. It's no good saying, hey, it's all going really well and let's kind of push the few bad cases into the corner. It's not a few bad cases. Your article, again, in Christianity magazine, addresses just this latest uh, case mm. from that church uh, in Didsbury who of course have sat down and I think I've, I've looked online at what they're doing, they're going through a whole year process to reevaluate their theology not just around all the things Ed's talked about mm. uh, nothing to do with me but they're going through a whole year's process uh, in the way they re uh, look at sexuality in fact we've invited them if they are coming mm. to the open conversation right. that we're running yeah. just to talk about how an evangelical church faced with a death of one of its young people is forced to say being quiet about this isn't enough we have to explicitly mm. talk mm. about this issue reevaluate where we are and be clear so that the young girls like Lizzie uh, of I the mean, future are not caught in that trap. And I think we've, we've both highlighted in things we've written and said in the past that the silence is one of the most damaging things. Hmm. And I think there's organisations across the evangelical spectrum and some very prominent church leaders and some very prominent organisations and churches that have basically embraced an appalling silence on this issue, yeah. which is massively right. to the detriment of evangelicalism generally, but also people in their churches. And yeah. you know, that is one of the things 
that we yeah. we would both want to share yeah you know our concern even on. if you, the way that you would hope that churches would speak into the situation and and not be silent is is to be upfront about the fact that people are going to be experiencing same-sex attraction in their congregation would would you like i mean one of the things sean suggests is is that he thinks that one way in which churches who do take a traditional stance on this could help is by actually inviting people who have stories like yours ed to come and talk about their experience in a way that i guess um although it doesn't betray their evangelical theology will at least get the issue out into the open and say you can talk about this we're open to having this discussion in this church and so on. Yeah, I, I love the fact that, you know, one of the most conservative evangelical churches I know in the country now, whenever this issue comes up in any context, um, you know, talks about, um, you know, how welcome people are who, uh, you know, who are LGBT um, and also talks about um, the sort of support group that one of their ministers is uh, running to help people that experience same-sex attraction, but also is really clear that that support group isn't sort of let's put them off in a special sort of category of people with really big problems, but it's just you know something that happens alongside church family life in in all its sort of glory messiness, yes. and messiness, yeah. you know, on a sort of daily weekly basis and, and things like that. So I think yeah, we do want people to be talking about it. We do people want people to be sharing ex- their experience, and we also do want to be helping people to see that debating this issue and getting clear on all the theological missteps the church has taken across the spectrum, how it's going to strengthen our churches. Mm-hmm. So actually, if we really sort of start talking about what life is like without sex and how you can live life to the full without sex, that helps me in my church family, but it also helps a number of people who are single for whatever reason, single mm-hmm. parents in my church family. It helps the widowed and the widowers. It helps the divorced people in my church family. Mm-hmm. And the wonderful news is that it is possible to live a very full life without sex. And that seems to be a message the church has lost. In response to the sexual revolution, the danger is we've up sex within marriage to this sort of thing that's going to solve everything and brings joy sure, and fullness sure, yeah. in a way that's not going to help me and the 50% of the people like me who are single in churches. I mean, but from your perspective, Steve, you you, you, you say yeah, it's good to have that conversation even in a conservative um, you know, church. As yes. well. but, but for you, that doesn't quite go far enough, presumably, because there are going to be people for whom the celibate option isn't an option that works for them in terms of, of their life. Yeah, and, I, and their I, I think that's the case. I mean, a couple of things I'd say um, to, to what Ed said there. I mean, it's wonderful to hear about um, a conservative evangelical church that is truly embracing LGBT people and not putting them into some special category that need healing or exorcism. But we know that there are many churches around our country that are evangelical that are still involved in those things. And there are different approaches. You know, people say the Bible's really clear. I was talking to a guy just a few weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago, you know, how time flies by, who was telling me that he was in uh, uh, a new church, an evangelical church, member of the EA, actually, and um, they prayed for healing for him, and then they'd sat him in front of a pornographic video and prayed that he'd be turned on by it. Blimey, right. (laughs) Absolutely. So that's very far from this, and I I, I trust him. But then, of course, there are churches that, that... there are lots of different views. There's the kind of church that says, we believe the Bible. It's clear what the Bible says. We need this guy is demonized. There's the kind of church that says, oh, no, that's not what the Bible says. But he does need healing. There's the kind of church that says, no, no, he doesn't even need healing. It's OK to have a homosexual orientation as long as you never do anything about it and you stay celibate. What I'm saying is just the three, just those three views being so prominent show you that there's not half as much clarity okay. about the biblical text it, it, as people lead you to believe. Ed, 
Well, I mean, I, I, you know, I take it that there are churches out there that, you know, still say that I need to be delivered from a demon or still say that, that my biggest need is to be sort of healed or for it to be. I, I mean, in some ways, I think it would be great if we could begin to name and shame these churches rather than always quote how many there are out there. Yeah. Um, because I think actually that's quite that's quite so, important. Do you know what I've found, Ed, is that in previous... I mean, I'm really enjoying this conversation. I think it's brilliant because I think you're, you, the way you talk about this, it's fantastic. But people have got angry with me for naming things. And I, I don't want to name people because I don't think that helps. But if it's your idea, <laughs> perhaps Living Out could compile a list of churches that it thinks well, are, are just making life yeah. tough for gay people. Yeah, well, you know, and I think, I've got some names I can contribute to. Your but I mean, and I think, and, and as we've agreed in the past, I think the biggest thing is the silence. And I think mm. we we could certainly both mm. name and shame churches that are just a their their sort of official policy means seems to be to say nothing on this mm. issue at all. Because mm. they might be conservative in private, but they're not willing to kind of say that out loud because they're... Or, or, the, or, the, or, the, or, the, or the opposite one. Yeah. 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 And actually, I think both stances are just display a lack of courage. Okay. Mm. And actually, both stances d- display a huge lack of love mm. for people in their church families. Yeah, and respect. And respect yeah. that actually they're not willing to... You know, if you're a church pastor, your fundamental job is to pastor and help uh, the people in your congregation become more and more like Jesus. And I mean, if you're not able let, to do that, me, if the same-sex attracted... Let, let me throw one out there. There was a news story a little while back about Hillsong Church, who um, kind of um, were, were asked, I think, in a, in a press conference or something along those lines about what their, their stance was on sexuality and so on. And the, the pastor, in, in this case being interviewed, said something along the lines of, we don't talk about it in public. Uh, we only deal with that on a kind of a private level, one-to-one. We don't make public statements about that stuff because it's just not helpful kind of thing uh they got a lot of criticism for that for you know people some evangelical christians saying you need to be you know out there and upfront about your policy on homosexuality and so on and as far as i understand it they do hold to a traditional uh understanding of sexuality but but they say it's not helpful to kind of do that in public we'll we'll address individual cases because everyone's an individual in a pastoral situation sort of thing what do you make of that kind of approach ed is that kind of is that a good thing or do you think churches should be kind of you know saying where they stand in public well at one level at one level you can sympathize can't you because as soon as you say um i believe you know the traditional understanding of the bible that the label that's that's thrown at you immediately in an unhelpful way is the homophobia one and obviously um you know we've got to work with you know we've got to be careful in how we use that word you know, there is Stonewall's got a helpful definition of that word, which I don't think sits with a church setting out a biblical viewpoint. But immediately that 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 is thrown and people mm. fear, you know, all the things that could come from being labelled as homophobic. Mm. So if we can as we go agree not to sort of immediately throw the homophobic label at churches that articulate the Orthodox Christian view, <laughs> that would that would help. But Otherwise, I don't understand it because Hillsong have got will have people who are same sex attracted in their church family. And I don't think and They'll be sitting there in silence, and what will encourage them out of their silence is people at the front preaching into this issue, and people at the front saying that this is an issue that they For struggle them with themselves. Right. Yeah, so you would encourage them to yeah, to I, do more public to talking say that, about. To say that it's issue. all done in private means that again it reinforces that what you've got some, something to hide. Yeah, and it's the, the shame culture thing. When I yeah. think, well, you know, I can remember being so helped by somebody who at a Christian conference referred to people like me 
who experienced same-sex attraction but sticking to what the Bible as the heroes of the faith. It was just a one little line in the talk, but it sort of kept me going for about two years. But, you know, it just acknowledged us in public. Um, when we don't acknowledge it in public, all you're doing is making people feel as if they should be ashamed of it. Yeah, but you see, this all happens the other way around. Of course. Again, yeah. it's so hard to tell <laughs> stories because you don't want to drop anyone in it. But then on my side of things, I call for a discussion, which I'm pleased to be having with Ed today, and I'm thrown out of the Evangelical <laughs> Alliance. So how does that say we're better together? We want a conversation. Here's a big issue that we need to talk about well I, I can't speak for the evangelical alliance so i i'm i'm, I'm unwilling but in a that's sense to, no but that's the cult but, we you, you know right, sure. we, you frame this conversation you, within you evangelicalism yeah, yeah. that is the culture we're talking about i'm not asking you to speak for the ea yeah, no, they've sure. spoken for themselves Let, and they've come up with some of the best pastoral guidelines on the issue mm. okay so so how about pastoring people who've been thrown out? <laughs> well, look, um, we're, we're having an interesting conversation today. Is the church failing gay Christians? And uh, Ed Shaw, We do play games with the word pastoral, don't we? Well, what you know, do you mean I really that? love you, but I don't want to talk to you. Well, I mean, do you know the number of people, I mean, picking up on what Ed said and what Jane said earlier, the number of people who don't talk to me anymore just because I've asked for a conversation. But, but the number of people who've told me I'm okay. going to hell. Well, I've, let's, I've not sat with you, Ed, and said, Do you know, because of your view and my view, you're damned and doomed. It's an, I, I, sure. and I don't believe that, of course, at all. Of course, <laughs> that. but just, just but it's amazing the number of people okay. that will say that to someone who comes out, as Jane told us earlier. Ed, we're just on. I mean, on the on the level of conversation, I think when we are having a conversation, we've got to make sure it's an equal conversation, and I think that is one of the issues that I would have with the conference you're organising is, is how equal it is. Oh, there's... Both, we, both in the range yeah. of speakers yeah. and also in the sort of... The would you like to come program. and speak? I would only come and speak if I felt that they were, they were a good... They were the best there representatives. Are. No, there the are. The best representatives. There are. And we've, we've invited people from Living Out. None of them can make it uh, in their diaries. But if you can make it, you, we will give you a plenary platform. We would need, to have, a dis- we need to have a discussion okay. about... Maybe this is the next conversation. <laughs> no, please come. On may not be the place to do that. No, but, yeah, yeah. But that's yeah. the point you see okay. people don't want to share a platform in the end and have a discussion it's that's not, what we well, found well, not, although we do have a wide breadth well, let, of let's people just with allow, different allow views Ed to, to, to talk into that you know people are up for sharing a platform but um you know, I don't know whether the analogy works but it's got to be an even platform yeah and it's got to be a platform where um there is a good range of uh, speakers and also the the people that they're, best represent a certain view hmm. and well, last put, last last yeah. time i looked i didn't feel it was that they're, no okay. well well actually not everyone's well known i can assure you that there's a very wide range of speakers but we're really happy to put you on in we any should, way you like. We should talk more. Yeah, let's, no, you see, let's have make it, what a politician's <laughs> response. Backing out I gracefully. Want, no, no, no. I want well, to be a But there are lots of people. You've put Ed on the spot there, to be fair. So we're... Well, no, I'm committed. Because, you know, for instance, you know, there's the Anglican conversation that's going on at the moment, the share conversation, and there's the same concerns and there's the same sort of negotiations, both about, you know, what material is looked at, and how the conversation takes place fairly. There are, there and, are, and that's an important thing to do. There are people who would, would be far more right, 
you know, right of centre than you are in terms of their views about sexuality who are speaking at the conference. They are they are very clear. The Bible says this is a no no. Okay. So we we get, so you you would be a helpful voice in the middle. Okay. There. Well, look. Let, let, <laughs> let's. Um, <laughs> yeah, you would. If, if you want to look at Democrat. the. <laughs> If you want to look at the range of speakers that, that are at the conference, um, oasisuk.org slash openchurch, and, and you can see who's who's there. Um, Ed's, Ed's um, by the way, uh, we've mentioned it already, Living Out, livingout.org, if you want to find out more about Ed and his colleagues there and, and the resources and support they're offering um, from their theological perspective. Well, we're talking about uh, is the church failing gay Christians? It's been a fascinating conversation, and uh, we're going to just conclude it in a moment's time here on the show that aims to get you thinking. With me, Justin Briley, this is unbelievable. Part of faith explored every Saturday afternoon here on Premier Christian Radio. Okay, just time to wrap up our discussion. Uh, still with me in studio, Steve Chalk and Ed Shaw. We've been asking, is the church failing gay Christians? That's the title of a recent article in the latest edition of Premier Christianity magazine. If you want to read it for yourself, premierchristianity.com. Uh, you can also uh, go and, and uh, get yourself a free copy of the mag by adding slash free sample. Um, we're, we've been talking this through, guys, and um, it's been a really interesting conversation but coming back to the core question is the church failing uh, gay christians we've talked about the fact that you both agree silence is not golden as far as this issue is concerned whether you're coming from a, a more conservative or liberal approach to the issue of homosexuality um i, I think in, in a way um one of the interesting things in, in as much as what sean doherty wrote in his his part of the the article in the magazine ed is that um uh, he, he he feels that that often the church fails by watering down the kind of the, the call of the kingdom and what it requires, and that the, and you mentioned you know the, the cross we have to carry, and, and presumably Ed, for you, your sexuality is, if you like, something you feel you've kind of at some level there's been a level of sacrifice and surrender because of what you feel the the, the cost of the kingdom is, um, and do you feel that? people like steve and churches who who do take the line that he takes are at some level in that sense failing gay christians by not if you like raising the bar not not encouraging them to 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 as it were live by this principle in some way i certainly think there's there's an element of sacrifice in living the christian life and jesus calls us to pick up a cross and follow him but then one of the wonderful things about um you know everything he says there in mark 8 is that he says yep you're to sacrifice yourself but then he actually appeals to our self-interest and says actually you know by doing this you'll save your life by doing this you will benefit so on the days when i think you know woe is me and there's a you know little nice little violin quartet or string quartet following me around uh, because i feel that my life is miserable because i'm not able to um you know enter into a gay relationship um i have to remind myself although it feels as if this is not good for me the reality is it is good for me um, you know, I love Psalm 19. I love the middle chant of Psalm 19 and everything it says, obedience to God's word will give me. I love Jesus' promise that um, that if I follow his way, I'm going to enjoy life to the full. So I just love how good God's word is for people like me. And because of that, clearly I do have issues with, you know, Steve and others like him who are, I think, undermining um, what the Bible teaches and saying that what the Bible teaches either you know, what we've understood to, is either wrong or bad. And I think, you know, I do have a problem. And I find that, I find that, I do find that deeply discouraging. And I do think that is deeply damaging to, to people like me. Steve, you said at one point in your article that um, 
we won't produce radically different pastoral outcomes just by trying a little harder. To argue this is to suggest that our churches are filled with indifferent or at least insensitive people. And if we could just get them to make more effort and supply more and better ambulances at the bottom of the pastoral cliff, we could solve the problem. For you, the, the problem is is deeper than that, if you like. And, and it's not that people aren't trying, necessarily. No, I mean, the churches are... Every church is filled with wonderful people, isn't it? Um, you know, who are, are wanting to serve. The thing is, um, going back to... To what Ed said about picking up your cross, um, do you know I'm straight. I'm not in this for self-interest. Actually, do you know this isn't to do with you know I'm I'm happily married. I've been married 35 years. I've got four kids. N- uh, none of them are gay and or lesbian. I didn't take this stance because of something going on in my life. It's just that I look at the misery that the church has caused millions of people many many thousands of people in this country and the way in which the gay and lesbian and bisexual and transgender communities they're different Mm. look at the church as poisonous so very often and i think it's wonderful um the, the things that ed has said about churches that are accepting of people i think that's great but it's like looking for a needle in a haystack to is find, it, is find it, a church no, like that in, among, in, in evangelical no. terms, I think. Well, let, hey, okay. let me, oh, right. let, let, let me let, say. So I do think that we need to uh, look deeper. And you see, just as Ed will say to me, he's slightly disappointed in my reading the Bible. I'm slightly disappointed in the immaturity of the hermeneutic, which we've given up now. We now think even the Anglican church has now decided women can be bishops. You know, it's wonderful, isn't it? In the last month or whatever it is, it's fantastic. So we've got there. So we've changed our view of scripture there. All I'm saying is that that the judgment of history will be that the church has been obviously on the wrong side of history when the books are written about this period. That's my view and my judgment through looking at the Bible and grappling with the text of the whole thing. Okay. Ed, just um, quickly, in a sense, it's a needle in a haystack, says Steve, when it comes to churches that are, if you like, conservative, but taking a kind of a, a generous, pastorally responsible view. Towards where where people. people can be open and talk. OK. Do you agree with that? Or do you think that, that things are changing in that respect? Um, we can compete with stories probably forever. <laughs> I think one of the good things that is happening, one of the things that Living Out exists to do is, um, you know, make sure that every evangelical in this church in this country would be somewhere where people can talk about this and where people can, you know, uh, hear mm-hmm. God's good words spoken into their lives and circumstances, what we're all about, and can hear the maturity of the hermeneutic that, that the traditional side is taking. You know, it's been labelled as immature. I think it's a mature mature hermeneutic. It's been held by the church for 2,000 years. It's been articulated by the church into a whole host of loads of different cultures and contexts, some of which are, are very similar to the culture today. Yeah. What, what it, do you do with the horror story, though? Like the one Steve told yeah, about well, the look, guy who... No, who, like who like the being... one you've printed in your magazine mm. of the girl, the 15-year-old girl in Didsbury. Mm. What do you do with that? What do you do and with the, that, yeah. what what do you do with that? That's why I think it's great we're having this conversation. Two years ago, the front cover of your magazine, when I came out with my article, was the last taboo. Here mm. we are talking for a whole hour about this thing. And, and what a fantastic advance that is. 
Well, indeed. So and, and, that's and, good and, news. We <laughs> just got to keep going and we got to keep talking so that we don't lose one more okay. life. All right. Ed, um, just uh, any final words as we start to just wrap this up? No, I mean, just that, you know, we we need to keep embracing the theological challenge ahead of us and, that, and we need to keep seeing that it's a, it's a massively big challenge. It's not just on this issue. It's about what church is all about. It's what we as humans are all about. Mm. It's about friendship. It's about singleness. Mm. It's about original sin. It's about a whole host of different things. But it's also about sexuality. sexuality. It is also oh, yeah. about sexuality, yeah. but sexuality is never yeah. in a box on its own. It's no, interlinked sure. with everything. Absolutely. Which is why it's so important to talk about. But so also don't why leave it out of the box. <laughs> no, but what, why it's so important <laughs> yeah. to get right. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's been great having totally you both agree. on, gentlemen. Mm. Thank you mm. for, for what has been uh, you know a lively, but I think really civil uh, interaction on these issues <laughs> as well. Um, more about Open Church Conference um, taking place at Oasis Church Waterloo from 10th to 11th of April at oasisuk.org slash openchurch. Find out more about Ed and uh, the, the community uh, involved with Living Out at livingout.org. His book is called The Plausibility Problem, The Church and Same-Sex Attraction, published by IVP. Uh, links, of course, from today's programme to all of those resources and more, and some past programmes as well, where Steve and Ed have both joined me in the past as well. So, uh, Premier christianradio.com slash unbelievable and uh, just a, another quick mention that uh, the the article itself between uh, steve and uh, sean doherty is available in the latest edition of premier christianity been great having you both on gentlemen thanks for thank you all. thank you for listening to this week's classic replay do let us know what you thought you can email us at unbelievable at premier.org.uk or leave a comment on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash Premier Unbelievable, or tweet us at UnbelievableFE. For more resources for exploring faith, head over to our website, premierunbelievable.com, and if you register there, you'll unlock access to all the content on the website, and we'll send you updates and exclusive content through the Premier Unbelievable newsletter, including bonus videos and ebooks. That's premierunbelievable.com. See you next time for another classic replay of Unbelievable.